This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, today's show is with a twist, and um, and I have to tell you, I knew nothing about, uh, ignorant, ignorant me, I knew nothing about our fabulous guest until I was in Alaska uh, earlier this fall, I guess, or at the beginning of fall, and speaking at the Alaska Writers Conference, and I started seeing the all these books out. And I heard some chatter among some of the members. And then all of a sudden I started taking a look at it. And I said, and felt, oh, my God, every writer needs at least one of Angela Ackerman's books. And here's what she is. She's a writing coach. She's an international speaker. She's the co-author of The Emotion to Thoris. Um, a Writer's Guide to Character Expressions, as well as a gazillion other books that will bring your silly side, your dark side, your emotional side, your fill-in-the-blank side out in your writing that when, when you run out of phrases, when you run out of words, and look at we all have done this. So she's also the co-founder of a very popular writing site that I encourage all of you to discover. I don't care if you're a fiction or nonfiction writer. Writers helping writers, as well as One Stop for Writers. So it, which it, which it contains like an online library built to help writers elevate their storytelling capabilities. So with that, I'm just going to bring her on because there's a lot we can talk about as we get into this wide world of writing. How you can make your snap crackle and pop and non-boring or redundant and sound like you have never written a book before in your life. Hi, Angela. How are you? Good. Thank you so much. That was a very lovely welcome. And it was uh, good to meet you, too, in in, uh, Alaska. That was a great conference we were at. And you know what? I was in at the – I spoke at the Florida Writers Conference uh, this past week, and I I was plugging your books. I I was plugging your books, and and what was so much fun is some people knew all about you. So there you go. Yeah, my co-author, Becca Puglisi, she used to live in Florida, so Uh I wouldn't be surprised that there would be more people in Florida that would probably know about our books and the kind of work that we do. Well, I think it's really important. So let's. I guess I have to ask you, how in the heck did you come up with this idea? Um, Well... It, it grew out of a big need, a personal need. Um, Becca, and, like I said, my co-author and I, we both write um, middle grade and young adult fiction. And we found that our characters are always rolling their eyes. They're always frowning. you know. Yeah. And it was very boring. And we, we thought, oh, my gosh, there's got to be a better way for us to figure out how to describe emotion in a, in a, in a really fresh way. 
Mm-hmm. And so we started building these lists of different types of emotions. Um, and we started blogging them because we thought, well, you know, if we're having this problem, maybe other people are too. And so we'll put them on our blog. We'll blog a different emotion every week and kind of see what the response was. And it, it went crazy. Like we had no idea that so many people sort of struggled in the same way trying to figure out how to describe, you know, through fresh body language, through visceral sensations, through different thought processes that are going to go through the character's mind, you know, how to actually get that onto the page in a way that isn't the same thing that you read over and over and over and it's mm-hmm. boring. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we just started that on the blog and then moved to different topics like setting and, and character personality, building strong characters and, and different things like that. We've been all over the map. You know, whether we've done, you know, many different um, elements of description because show, don't tell is a real problem with writers. It's something that uh, a, lot of, a lot of us struggle with. So, yeah, have, having a list of uh, ideas is sometimes very, very helpful. Uh, there, there's no question about it. So how many books are in the series now? Um, books, there are six different volumes. Uh-huh. Um, but Beck and I have actually written, we're on our 15th thesaurus. So a lot of our thesauruses have not been turned into books. Some just aren't, um, you know, the length. They wouldn't be the right length for a book. Um, some we don't know if there would be enough of an audience to turn it into a book or not. Um, and two, they just take a long time for us to do because we're very, very thorough in each topic. So our, a lot of our topics are deep psychology, deep psychology, so we may get um, a psychologist to vet them. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that it, I'd love to have you give us just the titles of the six that are out now. And one of the things I'm going to suggest to you, you know, I'm a big believer. I, I know you have a format for your books, meaning the size and the you're, you're not. I think is it a five by seven format? Uh, yeah, I mean a seven by ten. Seven, seven by ten. ten. You're a seven by ten format. But so you've got that, and I know when you, have you thought about those ones that maybe are not as big as your others? Um, I mean, I'm holding the uh, I'm holding the motion uh, one, and that's 164 pages. But mm-hmm. maybe you have some that are much shorter. Maybe you can do a combine so you can get them out. Uh, oh yeah, we definitely yeah. thought about that. We definitely thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love that, and and just going into that. So why don't you just share with the the listeners of Author You, your guide to book publishing, what the other titles are, so they know what you have in your treasure chest. Oh, certainly. So the first one is the emotion to source, and it covers um, 75 different core emotions that characters might feel and looks at things like the um, things that they, their body would experience inside and out, their thought processes, things like that. Mm-hmm. We have two books on setting. One is called the urban setting to source, and one is called the rural setting to source. And this is, the source is so huge, we had to split it into two books. It's basically 250 different fictional settings that your character might go to, and it lists out all the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, textures, conflict that might happen in those particular settings. So again, just gets writers thinking about new places to maybe um, set their different scenes in their novel. Mm -hmm. We have two on um, personality. One is the negative trait thesaurus, and one is the positive trait thesaurus, and these each look at the different side, the light and dark side of your character. Um, building in different traits, different qualities that are going to pull readers in, make your character really compelling, make them um, really stand off the page, and also show how all those traits are going to fill, um, work within the story to help your character move closer towards their goal or hold them up, hamper them and hold them back in some way. And these are things that they need to learn to overcome in order to achieve their goal if they're negative traits. 
Mm-hmm. And then finally, our last book that we released is called The Emotional Wound to Source. And um, this looks at common different types of emotional trauma um, that real people experience, that we want to bring the real world into our fictional one and make sure that we're giving our characters um, painful backstory that is unresolved, that at some point in time during the story, they're going to need to work through in order to achieve their goal if they're on a change arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah. I, I just I had discovered these a long time ago, Angela. I mean, I, I just thought that what you're able to do is create so much phrases and, and go-tos in a very unique, uh, compelling way, which is how writers need to be writing <laughs> a unique, compelling way. Uh, beca- because they make, they make a lot of mistakes, especially newbie writers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, we're all... We're all works in progress as far as writing knowledge. I mean, the one thing that the one best thing that all writers can kind of do is keep their minds open to learning more because there's always more to learn. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes we need something to help us between you know learning about an element of writing and then the blank page because the blank page can be so intimidating and you don't know what to write and you need inspiration. And so these books, because they're kind of in a list format, um, it just you can kind of turn to whatever it is that you need read through the ideas and it often it'll spark something because you know your character better than anyone and you'll know what will fit your character whether it's behavior or um, it's something from their past some sort of backstory if it's a personality trait and then with your scenes you know um, we always want to pick the best possible setting for each scene depending on what we want to happen so that it's going to you know magnify whatever's going to go on in that scene to make it more compelling and draw readers in. You know, Angel, as a writer, I mean, you're this a writing coach in your, you know, your your way. How how do um, and I, this is, I guess, where the phrase info dumping comes along. How, how do writers consistently misuse the backstories or even too much information? What what can they do to shortcut and and get into action? Honestly, learning who your character is deep down because backstory is really important for us to know as the writer we if we understand our character's backstory which you know encompasses things that they've experienced their education where they came from um, their personality all of these different important factors that made them who they are today at the doorstep of our story if we understand that really well then we're going to be showing it through their behavior through their dialogue through their actions through their decisions And we don't need to rely on big info dumps in order to share information because if we do a good enough job, we can show so much of it through what our characters are doing. And then the other thing that we can do with info uh, information that does need to come across is really be selective about what does readers need to know right now in the scene for the context of the character's behavior to make sense. Um, a lot of times writers, it's kind of a boring moment. You know, there's not a lot happening, and they think, oh, this would be a great time to share a bunch of backstory. That's the exact wrong reason to share backstory. You only want to share backstory if it has very important meaning to the exact scene that's happening right then and there, and the reader absolutely needs to know it. And even in that case, it's often better to just share a little snippet of it that is woven right into what's happening in the story, and it doesn't feel like backstory at all because it's one line of context, and then the character is moving and they're acting and they're behaving. 
and it's pulling the reader in and they're just being pulled along and now they understand a little bit more context about what's happening. Mm-hmm. So kind of doing it in those little snippets is, is really important. So snippets can rain them. And, and maybe what you're saying is something too much, so too much too soon could maybe have the, have the, the reader close the book. Is that right? Oh, for sure. I mean, backstory, you, you never want to be di- pouring it out at the start of the story. If, if you've got a lot of backstory at the start of your story, chances are you've started in the wrong place. All right. Um, so hold that thought, Angela, because we're going to take our first break. <laughs> and we're going to come back to it and move on. We'll be right back. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you or another author you will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being good with If you already have a book out, You'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author U's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publish. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content-heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has Zazz, Punch, and Panache. Author U is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join Author U today through its website at authoru.org. Follow Author U on Twitter at Author U and on Facebook at Author U, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. Author U, where the author goes to become seriously successful. Impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop, sizzle, and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience. And your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand. Nick Selinger of NZ Graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts. With over 20 years of experience in graphic design, he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need, such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Ackerman. She is a, a um, master and guru in words. 
and she's created a series of writer's guides for expressions. And the, the one I'm holding as I'm chatting with her is the emotion um, to Thoris, which I thought was the cat's meow. And I wish so many of my, I mean, I've put out a big recommendation to all my clients that they ought to be picking up the whole series of books that are writing fiction um, and bringing those into play. So we were talking about how important it is that you know the backstory. You know your, your, you know your characters inside and out. Or for you nonfiction writers, that when you're opening with a story, which those of you who know me know I am huge proponent of, to bring me in so I can feel the pain of whatever you're going to unravel for me in the chapter and solve, is that you do use emotions um, and that you need to bring them about. So I would love, love, love uh, Angela to get into the common problems that writers really encounter. Um, maybe they stumble into it or they bring it on themselves of working with nonverbal emotion. What's that all about, Angela? Uh, well, I think that probably the biggest problem that you see with writers who are working with nonverbal emotion, which is just basically anything that's not dialogue, is they tend to reuse the same sort of descriptors over and over and over. So their characters are always smiling when they're happy or they're shivering when they're scared. And so um, when you use these same sort of indicators over and over, it can be really bland. The writing can be very, very bland. And so uh, that's kind of what, what our lists are all about in this particular book is giving people ideas, okay, what does fear look like? You know, other than shivering, you know, what would my character possibly um, do? What would their body do? Um, what are their thought processes? Because every single thought that a, that a character has is tied to the emotion that they're feeling at that particular time. And so it's about looking at other options, sort of thinking past the very first thing that comes to mind, because that's often something that we've seen a lot um, or we've read a lot in stories. And uh, so we want to think of something that's a little bit fresher and also something that ties into who our characters are. Because characters um, and people, we all express emotion differently. We all have a different type of emotional range. We have different comfort zones about you know, what, how much of our emotions we're going to show to other people versus how we're going to behave when we're alone, um, different things like that. So we really need to understand who our characters are to really figure out, you know, if, if my character is excited, you know, are they going to be really kind of like their legs are going to be bouncing around as they're sitting around, or are they going to be the kind of person where they're going to need to be up and moving? You know, they're going to be using lots of uh, big body posture. They're going to have a really loud voice. You know, it's different for different people, and so it's going to be different for our characters. So understanding who our characters are so that we can kind of tailor those emotional responses so they feel true to the character is really important. Critical. Those are critical things to go on. All right. Can you? Can you? Well, no. Maybe we won't go into some of those examples. But what about some of the other emotions? Here's what I see a lot: is you're talking about the same thing, but how? Um, maybe it's because they hear it, or it, it's just a, a cliche and it's embedded in their head. Um, I know that when I've talked with authors who are writing about young people that I've always recommended, wouldn't it be, I, I think you need to hang around with how young people talk. Don't think you know. I think you need to kind of ask them. Uh, any thoughts oh. on that? 
Yeah, for sure. Dialogue, uh, especially any sort of contemporary dialogue, which is teen talk, right? You want to yes. find a delicate balance of making it realistic but not dating yourself. Because the last thing you would want to do is use the most up-to-date slang that is not being used a couple of years from now. And then mm-hmm. that's going to sort of de- date your book a bit. So it's a bit of a juggle when you write for young adults because you want it, you want to capture the essence of how they speak, but you don't necessarily want to hem yourself into using really specific language that is going to date your story. All right, that that makes total sense. And and also you have to go back and look at your story and make sure that you, if 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 someone's using a mobile, they better be in a in a time range that mobile phones were real instead of back in the 60s, which I happened to come across the other day when I was looking at Oh, absolutely. So, well, and plus, too, I mean, it's it's the language we use. I mean, now it, when kids have cell phones, they don't really talk on the cell phone. They text. So if your character is talking on their cell phone a lot, that may also not ring true if they're a teenager, right, because most text. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they're sending emojis and it's shorthand, and so things like that. You have to, you do have to think about the, the character and really know them well and and understand how they're going to communicate. So, would you suggest in their writing in their text, if they're using emojis, that they actually include the emojis in the text? If they're and and texting, and when they text, they use their abbreviations. They're not, you know, a lot of people. I think our age, and certainly my age, we spell everything out. <laughs> But I don't know if anyone does it, right? It's like a nails on a chalkboard sometimes when you read shorthand text. It's like, no! I know. Yes, exactly. But that is the way they do it. So you're going to have to mimic your audience versus what you think it should be. Yeah, for sure. Do your research and, you know, talk to kids now. You know, if you're an older writer and you don't have teenage kids um, or you're not really connected to that, age group um, through your job or, or through your spare time, then, yeah, you're, re- you're definitely going to want to do some research to really understand, you know, what kids are into these days and how they talk, how they communicate, what they share, what they don't, to make mm-hmm. that authentic. All right. Now, you also talk about um, root emotions. So what are root emotions and what, do, what are they? What do we need to know about them and how do we use them? Well, root emotions, in in any scene, your character's probably going to experience several different emotions. Whenever something happens, we don't just independently feel one emotion. Usually there's a cascade. One emotion will lead to another emotion or we'll feel conflicting emotions about something. You know, something happens and we're kind of excited, but we're also nervous about it because, you know, what is this going to mean for the future and things like that. So sometimes writers get really bogged down with, oh my gosh, how do I describe that? How do I describe the fact that my character is excited and then now they're a little bit worried? You know, how do you show that without confusing readers? And sometimes the the best way is to sort of go back to the very uh, root emotion, the the emotion that um, is at the very beginning. It's almost like the catalyst for everything else to come. Um, And then start there and start by describing that through their thoughts or through, if you're in their point of view, um, through their body language, through their actions, and then show that kind of segue into the next emotion. If it's escalating to something else, like maybe your character is um, anxious and then um, now they're nervous and now their nervousness is turning to fear and now their fear is turning into terror, you know, you would want to show that escalation of those emotions as they kind of go through those things. 
through the things that they do. You know, they're just a little bit more extreme. They're, you're going to want to use shorter sentences and stuff like that, depending on the emotion to kind of really hype things up and, and pull readers along. But understanding what that root emotion allows us a starting point where we can kind of help the reader navigate our character's emotions by showing them what started it all, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, it's just the, it's the continuum you talk about that, that's essential. Um, and, and any author's success. But if, if you if you don't mind doing a jump over, I, you talk about or you refer, you refer, I, I found it on your website, to the, the six-plot strategy for putting together a novel. You know, I'm, and since I'm not a fiction writer, so I and I don't do fiction editing per se, that I wouldn't know what those are. Would you jump into those and kind of expand on them a bit? You mean the uh, Michael Haig's six-stage yes. plot structure? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, well, there is, there is. first of all, there's a million different types of uh, structure that you can use for your for your novel. Some people like The Hero's Journey. Um, some like six-stage plot structure. Some people like Save the Cat. And that's only three of many, many, many different types mm-hmm. of plot structures. So um, personally, I like Michael Haig's six-stage plot structure model because it looks at um, what's happening in the outer story um, and then also what's happening inside um, the character's journey. So um, in his case, uh, the first one is the, is the setup uh, where you're, you're showing your character in the you know, um, ordinary world, what's happening, um, and the, because the character is completely unknown to the reader. So we have to introduce them and sort of acclimate them to what the situation is and stuff like that. Um, and then you kind of move through different stages where a new situation comes along, something happens um, that your character's in a new environment, um, they have, uh, they're discovering who they are, how things work in their, in their world. It's kind of moving them from the old person that they used to be and the problems that they have and moving them through the story, through the character arc where they're going to grow and they're going to change and evolve and they're going to be um, up against a lot of different types of challenges that are going to force them to kind of grow if they want to make it through, if they want to reach this particular type of goal. And so it takes you through three-act structure, which is very, very common structure um, that every writer adheres to, uh, whether they realize it or not. Um, it's kind of the, you know, get your, character up a, um, get your character up a tree, throw rocks at them, and then get them down again. It's sort of that sort of uh, is the three-act structure way. Um, and uh, so anyway, yeah, six-stage structure, it just kind of leads you through all these different events. You know, you have your setbacks, you have the point of no return where your character cannot go back to who they were before. They must press forward uh, their climax where they're going to um, show that they have learned and they have grown and they are going to, you know, face whatever needs to be faced in order to move forward and achieve that goal. And then your resolution where your character is now a different person, they've achieved their goal, hopefully, if you're writing a positive change arc, um, they're happier, they're satisfied, and whatever need they had at the start of the story that was kind of driving them to move forward and change, how they've, they've gained that thing. We're going to be right back. This 
Davis is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Want to publish like a pro today? Well, then take a look at Ingram Spark, the only publishing platform that offers print and ebook services through a single source. Upload, edit, and manage titles all in one place. Take more control of printing costs with print on demand and reach even more readers through one of the world's most extensive distribution networks. Built by independent publishers for independent publishers, Ingram Spark has everything you need. To maximize your book's potential, color printing, ebook distribution, print on demand, global reach, and more. Start publishing with Ingram Spark today and see just how far your titles will go tomorrow. That's IngramSpark.com. Many of us have dreamed of writing a book. Some of us even have. Then the hard work starts. You'll need an editor. Who will design the cover or typeset the pages? Who will format the ebook? If you're a business owner, consultant, or coach with a serious message and expertise to share, the team of experts at 1106 Design can guide you through the maze. They've helped more than a thousand authors create top quality books and avoid the not so reputable self publishing companies. Learn more at 1106design.com. Then call Michelle at 602-866-3226. 1106design. Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972. They believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing questions. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. We're talking writing today and some of the essence and really, you know, whether it's 
nonfiction. Storytelling is all part of it. And my guest, Angela Ackerman, who has a series of books that I would highly recommend that you find your way to them pronto. And also you should know about that she's got a very popular website called Writers Helping Writers dot com as well as another one called one stop for writers dot com. Discover them and get involved with them because I'm going to guarantee your writing's going to get better in the process. So Angela and I were talking about um the the six stage plot structure that she was referring to where you go into setting it up and then a situation happens that maybe you didn't expect and now it you know trails along and all of a sudden it gets kicked up into a higher gear and then all hell breaks loose she didn't say it that way those are my words and then what they what the resolution is right so we're going to take uh a really a well-known um it was a buzzed movie uh, it's it's not a newbie. It's not a newbie movie. I know that we're in Halloween time. We're not doing Halloween. Although I guess Angela, we could do Halloween, but uh, <laughs> but we're going to do a, a a movie called A Few Good Men, and it helps set that stage. Tom Cruise uh, is is the lead star. He's an attorney. He plays an attorney, and it's going to b- bring in the setting was Cuba and Guantanamo Bay. All right, he goes in to look into a situation, um, and Demi Moore is in it, as well as the Colonel, Jack Nicholson. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Angela, and let's start moving this along now. So who is Tom Cruise, and what's his problem? Why he? Why is he down at Guantanamo Bay? Uh, I'm going to have to reach back into my memory. It's been a long time since I've, oh, since I've read, watched the movie, but... Uh, <laughs> If I look at the breakdown, um, Daniel Caffey, he's a – Caffey or Coffee? I'm trying to remember what it is. He's a, he's a lawyer, and he works for the Navy, and he tends to plea bargain all of his cases. Um, and his dad was a very famous attorney, and, um, you know, he's very um, – very, he's, a, he's, a, he's a sharp talker. He can kind of talk his way around any sort of situation at all. And so he's supposed to look into this situation where um, there were um, some um, Marines, I guess it was, who um, they acted in a certain way, and he's supposed to decide, you know, whether or not they acted on their own accord or if someone is in, um, if someone told them to um, to torture someone. I think that's what it was, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's supposed to look into the situation and figure out uh, who caused this person's death and who should be to blame um, or who should be held accountable for it. So um, the story set up is just we meet Daniel Coffey. He's a lawyer, um, and he's never actually tried any cases because, like I said, he always pleads out. And so um, in the story, an opportunity comes along where he is assigned to a, this case of these two Marines that are recu- accused of murder of an inmate at Guantanamo Bay. And so this is his opportunity to kind of prove his worth, prove to his dad that he's an excellent lawyer. Um, you know, the case is very, uh, it's, it's, it's a big case and things like that. And so he would normally go into it and just sort of plea bargain his way out. That's what he always does. Um, and so at the start, in the new situation, that's exactly what he does. He goes in, he figures he's there to negotiate a plea bargain, um, and he knows this way 
he will definitely, um, you know, not lose a case, which is very important to him because he's always worried about, you know, what is living up to his dad's sort of reputation. And he's given pretty much gift-wrapped exactly what it is that he wants, the perfect plea deal. But instead of accepting it right away, he decides to wait until um, after he gets home or after he gets to uh, Cuba because he wants to, you know, make sure that he's gone through, ticked all the boxes and checked everything out and done his interviews and all that kind of stuff. So then there is the change of plans where he goes to Guantanamo, he interviews the witnesses, um, he meets the colonel um, and all the other high-ranking officers, and he can tell right away that there's some kind of cover-up going, that they're hiding something in some way. And so um, now, you know, he's trying to figure out what to do because usually he simply, you know, will just plea bargain, but now he's realizing there is some kind of cover-up going on Things are more complicated than he's, than he's used to dealing with, which means, of course, that, you know, if he goes through, he could lose the case and things like that. Um, so he still encourages his client to take the plea deal. Um, and because he doesn't understand why his client won't just take the plea deal because he feels that he's innocent, he feels that he was just following orders, uh, it creates a lot of conflict for him. So basically, Kathy is in his own mindset. You know, he always does this thing. He always tries to get them to do the plea deal because it's nice and easy and wrapped up in a bow. And he's being challenged to do something different in this case. That it's the thing that he always does is not working. And so he needs to figure out something else instead. Um, so uh, he decides uh, to that first he's going to quit the case because he doesn't want to lose in court. He doesn't want to fail. He thinks this case is going to get too complicated and too big, so he's just going to quit because he figures that's better than losing. He does not want to lose. Um, and so he's basically, someone else comes along, um, Demi Moore, and says, you know, you're, you're just trying to avoid this. Like, you need to do right by your client. You need to go through with this. Um, you're just afraid. And basically, he realizes that, you know what, I need to prove that I'm not afraid, so I am going to represent my clients and try the case in court. So that's the big change in plans that, you know, he was planning on going this route, but now he's going to do something different altogether. So then we move into uh, the progress stage, where he and his team, they have to put together a defense, so they're researching, gathering, gathering all their evidence, prepping, prepping witnesses, and they start the proceedings. Um, he's a very good lawyer overall, so you know he's he's um, he's definitely doing things that are that are going to help them. Um, but there's a lot of everybody's very close, uh, tight-lipped on this because it is it has to do with the Navy, it has to do with the military, um, high-ranking officials are involved, and so nobody wants that stain on them. So it is a, quite a bit of a struggle um, to get the right. Um, witnesses to to um, to give the correct evidence instead of covering up because there's all this pressure to sort of cover everything up. Um, and then let me see. We are point of no return is where um, one of the team members, Joe, she makes a couple mistakes, um, and so there's a discrepancy in the story that's revealed in court, which could totally derail the entire thing um, and create a mistrial. Um, and so he has to sort of uh, come back from that. That's this big challenge that, that he absolutely has to um, come back from. Um, and so 
he has to um, put the colonel on stand and get him to admit in court that he ordered this code red um, situation that caused uh, this person's death. death. Yeah. And he absolutely has to hammer away at him until he can do this. And, of course, it's in the colonel's best interest to do the exact opposite and to, um, you know, not admit to this, right, because then he can get away scot-free. So there's a lot of pressure on him to try to do this, to, to, um, to get the colonel to confess. And, of course, in his mind, he doesn't want to be a failure. He doesn't want to disappoint his dad. His dad had such an amazing reputation as a trial lawyer. Um, he's trying to live up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he realizes that he needs to stop comparing himself to his dad. He needs to start um, trying the case in his own way to, to figure out his own methods and move forward. And so this is kind of the big moment of growth for him where he realizes the thing that I've been doing all along is not working. I need to find who I am myself and be the lawyer for me, not for my dad, not do things the way my dad did. I need to do them the way I need to do them and the way that's going to work in this case. So then we move into complications and higher stakes where everything gets kind of amped up. They have a new strategy in court. Um, They're going to get him, they're going to get Colonel Jessup on the stand to admit that he ordered the code red. Um, They come up with new arguments to support the case. And um, they also reconfirm what's at stake. And the stakes are always important that readers understand every step of the way, or in this case, viewers, that they know what's at stake. This is someone's life on the line if they, um, you know, if they can't um, get Colonel Jessup, Jessup to admit to this, then he's mm-hmm. going to go to jail for a long, long time. So there is a lot of high stakes going on. Yeah, and, it, and it's in this. And we actually have one minute to break, so I know we're going to have to finish oh. these couple <laughs> points. But, but that originally we, we do have two, if I recall, there's a couple of Marines who were charged with the murder that really... What's happening is he's setting the stage to um, have Jessup up to his eyeballs in him. It's not just those two Marines. It wasn't the two Marines. No. No, they didn't act independently. No. So, yeah, if if anyone's curious in the full breakdown, because I realize we just don't, unfortunately, have time to kind of go through it all, you can go to One Stop for Writers. Yeah. And... uh, yeah, here's here's what we'll do. We're gonna we're gonna take this one more. You know, we have one more break, if you can believe it. Um, and we'll come back and we'll finish where we're we're right up to the we're getting close to the climax here. But we can we'll tie that in. So we'll be right back. It's author you, your guide to book publishing, and with me is Angela Ackerman. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and a guide to partner with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand, and is a financial success, a bestseller. It's your choice. You choose. You need the book shepherd. 
Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You don't need problems, you want solutions. Dr. Judith Browse will shepherd you through the maze and the chaos. At times, she's had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher or by a publishing service provider or sometimes even the author themselves. Judith Bryles is the book shepherd if you want to create a book with no regrets. Give her a call today, 303-885-2207. That's 303-885-2207 or email her at judith at bryles.com. By the way, Bryles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at My Book Shepherd and on Facebook at The Book Shepherd. One of the most important decisions you will ever make is your choice for printing your book. You are choosing a company which will be responsible for guiding you through the process and printing your book at a level of quality and detail that embraces your personal and creative needs. You want to choose a company that when your book finally arrives, you are delighted and ready to move on to the next level and one that is customer focused. Choose King Printing Company and Addy Books to be that company that brings you to the next level. Go to kingprinting.com or call 978-458-2345 and ask for Tom Campbell. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years' experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR, perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types, including side sewing. We provide warehousing, kitting, distribution, inventory management, a new print-on-demand facility, streaming browser-based ebooks, and bookstore. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Joey Angela Ackerman has walked us through stage one, um, which is the overall setup. And we then we had the new situation um, and the progress. New situation is all of a sudden he is going to have to, um, and, and the complications, they all start moving together. But all of a sudden, Tom Cruise's character, um, which was Daniel Caffey, is, is now going to have to try this thing and uh, the case and then there's there's two other stages so the complications and higher stakes is for what angela was saying is daniel realizes that he is not his father he is him and he has his own methods his own ways that have been very successful and now he's going to take it to the next level which is 
where we're at. Okay, Angela, I'm going to turn it back to you. All right, yeah. So, um, so he's he's realized that he's got to go forward in his own path, and so he's he comes across a major setback, which is the next step in in the sixth stage plot structure, where uh, Colonel Jessup's on the stand and. He is not admitting. It, it looks like he's not going to admit to ordering this code red, uh, which caused this person's death. And so uh, Coffee basically has to make a split-second decision right then and there. Do I keep following this line of questioning and push and push and push and risk everything? Because if he fails, he's going to get kicked out of the Navy. He's going to lose his license as a lawyer. He's going to get court-martialed. It's just, it's a mess. So he has to decide, am I going to go all in and do this, or am I going to back off and let him get away with it, basically, uh, meaning that he's going to lose his case. And so this is kind of where he's at now. Um, And so he decides, nope, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pressing, which leads us into the final push. That's where your character holds nothing back, and they just move forward and they give it their all, and that's what he does. He continues questioning Colonel Jessup until finally, um, in the climax, um, he asks him flat out, did you order the code red, and Jessup admits to it. So he pushes and he pushes and he pushes, and he gets them all angry and upset until finally the colonel admits, yes, I did, and this is why. And he feels he has a very good reason for what he did, but all uh, Coffee needed to know was the yes, because that you know will get his his clients off. So uh, he finally he 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 pushes forward, and he wins. And so then in the aftermath, you know Colonel Jessup is arrested, um, and his Coffee's clients are exonerated of most of the charges because they were they were following orders. Um, and they're they're given a dishonorable discharge because they still obviously you know had a part in it, but Kathy earns everyone's respect. He saved his clients from death and imprisonment, and he's most importantly he's realized you know what I can try a case in court and win. Like I can do it myself. I don't have to be afraid of failing. You know I've stepped out of my dad's shadow and I'm my own you know lawyer. I have self respect. I I'm a you know he believes in himself because he has conducted himself in a way that he knows his dad would be proud of. So he can move forward as someone who is not going to plea bargain all the time because he doesn't need to. He knows that he's got what it takes to see a case through and to do right by his clients in any, in any circumstance. So he's kind of gone through this entire arc where he's started one way and he's grown and he's changed and he's become a new man. And that's kind of what you see in the character arc uh, when there's a change character arc, is who our character is at the start of the story, they're going to change into someone who's different at the end, someone who is more self-confident. Um, they know their path. They know their skills. They know um, that they have value, and they're ready to move forward into their life. Mm-hmm. And, and so for, for people who are familiar with the hero's journey, Tom Cruise is the hero in this storyline. And it's his journey, and this is his journey as he nails the bad guy, Colonel Jessup, a.k.a. Jack Nicholson, um, and discovers himself. And he gets these two guys who were, who, who were involved in the murder because it was ordered, basically, but mm-hmm. don't go to jail the way it was normally expected. Correct? Yes. Yep. 
So we're I'm gonna we're gonna recommend you all Netflix the movie and and now with this discussion follow um, as it goes along with that setup the new situations how it progresses and then these complications and as the stakes start getting kicked higher and then that crossover when it's it's a it's a riveting scene in the this uh, the the quasi courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, where Cruz is confronting Nicholson, Kathy versus uh, Jessup. Um, and Jessup just, you can see him seething. I mean, literally seething like a coiled snake ready to strike. So, you know, it's it's really quite a good movie. I'd recommend it. Yeah, it's All a right. powerful scene. Super powerful it's, scene. It's very powerful. And that's the way you want your writing to be. You know, so people get engaged and they're there. They can feel it. I, I guess, Angela, that's where the, the, the old phrase, the page turner, comes in, right? Oh, absolutely. Tension, tension, tension. Yeah, the, it, it's just amazing. All right. So we, we have just a few minutes left. I, I'm, I'm going to pivot over. I'm going to, ref- number one, um, encourage you all. I'm going to give those two websites to all of you, the writers, helpingwriters.com and onestopforwriters.com because they are loaded with tools. And I wanted Angela to get into some of the tools that you as a visitor will discover. So, Angela, you want to jump on there? Well, we we have a lot of different tools that basically help you with planning a novel. Um, we have uh, different story maps. Structure, what we've just been talking about now, is something that a lot of writers struggle with. Um, you know, how can I structure a really strong novel um, just like A Few Good Men? And so we've taken the six-stage plot structure and created a tool where we guide you through each and every one of those steps, and we use this uh, particular movie as an example to show you what should be happening at each different stage. So if, you're, if you find a story structure really intimidating, then that tool will really help you. There's also other planning tools, um, like a timeline tool, if you're trying to if your character has to do specific things in a specific order or you have a murder mystery or something like that where you have clues that are being left at different crime scenes and you need to keep track of these type of information, the timeline tool can be really helpful for that. Um, and then we have uh, planning tools that help you at the scene level that will um, make sure that every single scene that you write has all the important elements that they need in order to really push the story forward. That you're showing, you know, what's driving your character, what the goal is, what's at stake, what's their emotional state that they're in, and it utilizes all the different sources that we have at our site um, to help you sort of brainstorm what all of that looks like. We're also working on a new tool that um, we're hoping should be out by the end of the year. It's called the Character Building Tool, and this is going to transform the way reader, way writers um, create their characters because. It looks at every aspect of a character that is important for us to plan so that we really understand who our character is deep down and what's driving them through the story so that all their actions, all their choices, and all the things that we have happening to them in the story are all going to tie into who they are deep down and everything is going to um, um, pull all those best elements of what we built about our character using this tool. So we're really excited about that one. Um, we also have a big collection of worksheets and stuff like that. Some people, they really they find worksheets really helpful. So we've got really unique ones on, you know, backstory, um, building your character's wounds, looking at your character's fears. We have an idea generator um, that has a ton of different drawers on many, many different aspects of story, everything from story prompts 
to plot complications, to character secrets, um, character hobbies, all these different layers of our characters in our story that we really want to explore. So we've got a lot of those kind of tools there. Well, it sounds like it's a bonanza to me. Um, if I was if I was a novelist writing fiction, any kind of fiction, um, finding your kind of website and what it offers. And uh, I mean, as I said, when I saw these sources, it was like, oh, my God, this is a gold mine, a gold mine. Providers. Thank you. Yeah, everyone, go, 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 go. Take advantage of what Angela Ackerman and her partner uh, have put together. Becca, is it is it Puglisi? Yeah, Puglisi and Lee Powell at uh, at One Stop Writers. At One Stop Writers, and and you will really learn a boatload of information, and that's really what you're looking for in this to really. You want to shine as an author. You want to shine as a writer. Um, Angela, one of the things that is always a struggle in this last minute, and you might make a quick comment on it, is when people have characters that you just don't give a damn about them. Um, I, I've, and I've always wondered why you keep them in there. Do <laughs> you have anything to say about that in 30 seconds? Yeah. Uh, you just, if they have to, they need to have something compelling about them. Um, hopefully they're likable, but it depends on the character's role. So you really just need to dig deep and think about what makes them unique, what makes them stand out, how can you make the reader care about them, and just draw the real world into that character, into the story, because readers want to see themselves on the page. So think about real-life struggles that maybe that character's going through that's going to resonate with the reader. Yep, and there you go. Another edition of Author You, your guide to book publishing. We'll be back with you next week. So happy writing and certainly great publishing. part of your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles 